0: for being here with us and for worshiping with us this morning. So several years ago, there was a series of commercials that were produced for nationwide insurance um, that all fell under the label, life comes at you fast. Uh, You may remember some of these commercials. One of them featured an attractive young girl in a lounger by a pool, um, sitting there reading a magazine, and she looks across the pool, and there's this guy on the other side who's 20-something years old, who's young, attractive, who's got 2% body fat, you know, chiseled abs, and she kind of looks at him with this sort of flirtatious smile, and he does the same back to her, and then he kind of Says, okay, I'm coming over there, and he dives into the pool, and he swims under the water across the pool, and then he comes up out of the water, but instead of a 20-something year old, 2% body fat, chiseled-looking guy, he's now 45 years old. He's lost some hair, a lot of flab, a lot of wrinkles, and you see the look of shock on her face, and then the voiceover comes on and says, life comes at you fast. Another one of those commercials featured this young couple. With this little infant, their newborn baby boy, and they're walking towards the car, and this soft piano music is playing, and they're smiling at one another, so excited about this baby, and they walk over to the car, and they take this baby boy, and they place him in the car seat, they very carefully buckle him in, and then she gets into the passenger seat, and he gets into the driver's seat, and they look over at each other with this look of hope and joy, and then they look into the back seat, And there sits a 16-year-old boy staring back at him. And the voiceover comes on and says, life comes at you fast. I read that this particular series of commercials um, was very popular because I think that truth that's in there, life comes at you fast, resonates deeply with us. Especially if you're at a certain age. I don't know exactly what the age is, but I think it begins with the four, whatever it is. And there is this point where you just get it. Life comes at you fast. Before that certain age, whatever that age is, it doesn't seem to be that way. It seems that the clock moves slowly, that time takes forever. Like Christmas will never Get here. My birthday will never get here. I'll never get out of school for the summer. I'll never graduate. It seems like it's taking forever for me to be able to graduate from high school and then college and then get a job. It's just like time is moving slowly, and then all of a sudden, one day, you wake up and time has sped up dramatically. And you go, Wait a second. We just celebrated Christmas. You're telling me I've got to decorate again? Why? What, I just blew out candles on a cake like a month ago, and you're telling me it's my birthday again? And we just get it, that life comes at you fast. This morning, we're continuing our series called Rule Number One, and here's our rule number one this morning. Life comes at you fast, or a better way to phrase it, life is brief. Life flies by it passes quickly. This is a truth that we see in the passage that Ryan read to us earlier. This particular Psalm, Psalm 90, was written by Moses roughly 1,500 years before Christ came. Uh, Moses wrote this passage that's really a prayer, and it's one of the most fascinating prayers in the Bible. Uh, It is fascinating in part because of this strange prayer that Moses prays to God it's it's one of these prayers that I hardly ever hear prayed nowadays and all the prayers that we pray and a lot of these prayers are very strange prayers I don't ever hear a prayer like this I hear prayers for, you know, pray for my son who's at college and he's having a tough time. Pray for my mom, she's facing surgery. Pray for this couple, their marriage is struggling. You know, I, I hear all of those prayers. I hear people pray those prayers, but I don't ever hear them pray a prayer like this. In, in fact, one of the strangest prayers or oddest prayers or maybe confusing prayers that you have prayed, that I have prayed, especially this time of year. Is for my team to win. You, you've done it. You're in front of the television. It's fourth and goal to go. There's two seconds on the clock. There's only one hope. You know, and you pray, Lord, I know. <laughs> I know this is kind of one of these things where I'm not really sure should I pray for, it, but please, if you would, we just need a reception here. We just need you know, a first down, whatever it is. The reason that prayer is confusing to me or odd to me is because I've prayed it, but I know there's somebody on the other side praying, please stop them. Please don't let them get the first down. And I'm like, well, God, what, how does he answer? Who does he answer there? There are all kinds of prayers that we pray. But this particular prayer is one that I rarely heard prayed. And yet right here in Psalm 90, Moses prays this prayer. Here it is. "'Teach us, Lord, teach us to number our days "'that we may gain a heart of wisdom.'" Here's why I say this is a strange prayer request. Moses prays, "'Teach us to number our days.'" And on the surface, that seems like an odd request. I would not think that God would have to teach us to number our days We just can look around and see that our days are numbered. Even if you're an atheist, even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe the Bible, you know this truth. You look around and you can see that people live to be 70 or 80, maybe 90 years old. A few people make it to the century mark, but that's it. Nobody lives forever. We all know that our days are numbered. You don't have any friends who are 600 years old. You don't have any family members walking around who are 1,000 years old. Even Queen Elizabeth, who we thought would live forever, passed away this past week at 96 years old. We get it. This is a truth that we just know. On the surface, it seems like a strange request. It seems like Moses praying this to God. is like Moses praying to God, Lord, teach me that water is two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. I don't really need the Lord to teach me that. It's just a fact. It's something that we know. And yet Moses prays this prayer to God. Teach me that my days are numbered. Why does he ask God to teach him this? Let's come back to this. Let's talk about what was going on in Moses' life. Most scholars believe that Moses wrote this prayer right after the events of Numbers chapter 20. If you're taking notes, Numbers 20 is a good background story for this particular passage. Numbers chapter 20 is a time in the life of Moses that was a dark season. It was a difficult time in his life. There are three things that happened. The beginning of the chapter, Miriam, the sister of Moses, dies. Now, in their adult life, there was some conflict between Moses and Miriam, but she was a sister, she was there when he as a baby was placed in the Nile River. You know, they, they, she was around his whole life. And so the beginning of the chapter, his sister passes away. Then on the heels of his sister dying, the Israelites began to complain to Moses, which causes him to act out of anger and to sin before the Lord. Moses had led the people out of slavery in Egypt led them out of this bondage under the oppressive thumb of the Egyptians. And they go into the desert after seeing these miracles of God. And they're in the desert on the way to this land that that God had promised to them. And the people become thirsty. And they begin to complain to Moses. They Actually, take it a step further. They begin to rebel against Moses. And they say to Moses, why did you bring us out here into the desert to die? We wish we were still back in Egypt. At least there we had water. And they take it a step further and they say, we wish we were back in Egypt and we just died in Egypt rather than coming out here to the desert to die. And they just complain and complain and complain against Moses and it wears him out. And so he goes to the Lord and says, what do I do? And God says, I want you to go. And speak to this rock, and when you speak to the rock, water will flow from the rock, and it will provide water for the people. Well, Moses goes to the rock, but he is so worked up and angry and frustrated at all these people who have complained and rebelled against him that instead of doing what the Lord says and speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and he whacks the rock twice, hits it hard out of anger and out of frustration. Well, I can't blame Moses. I mean, I understand that feeling. But God said to Moses, look, you didn't trust me. You acted out of anger rather than doing what I told you to do. And because of this, you are now not going to get to enter into the promised land. Someone else will take the Israelites into the promised land. So Moses' sister dies. The people rebel against him. Then this causes him to act out of anger and sin, and then he is given the news that he will not enter the promised land. And then to cap it off, the end of Numbers 20, Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, dies. Not just his brother, but his partner in ministry. Aaron was the one who served as the mouthpiece for Moses. As he went to Pharaoh, demanding that Pharaoh let the Israelites go, Aaron was the one who acted as the priest before the people, speaking to the people and then speaking to God on behalf of the people. Aaron was not only Moses' partner in ministry, but arguably his best friend. His sister dies. He has this whole issue with people rebelling against him and his own sin. And then his best friend dies. And on the heels of that, Moses prays, Lord, teach us to number our days. Why does he do that? Why does he pray this prayer after Numbers 20, after this dark chapter, this tough season in his life? Why does he do it then? Here's why. Most of the time, we just go through life and we do and we go and we do the things that we need to do and we get the kids to practice and we go to work or we go to school, we Come home in the evenings, we make sure we have dinner ready, we feed the dog, we go to bed, we get up the next day, we do it all over again. Most of the time, we just sort of go through life on autopilot. And those who live around us in this culture, that's exactly what they do. The fastest growing religious group in our culture, and that's not the best term to use, but that's the only one I can think of, the fastest growing religious group in our culture are the nuns. Not N-U-N-S nuns, but N-O-N-E-S nuns. Meaning when companies send out these religious surveys and they say, what is your religious affiliation? Are you Protestant? Are you Catholic? Are you Muslim? Are you Hindu? What is your religious affiliation? Or they'll send it out and they'll say, what is your particular denomination? The group that is growing the fastest are those who check the very last box, N-O-N-E. In fact, out of the millennial generation, one third of millennials say none. Now, it doesn't mean they don't believe in God. It doesn't mean that they're atheists. In fact, many times they will say they believe in God. They look around at this world and creation and say, there's got to be a God. All of this couldn't have just happened by coincidence. They believe in God. But what they say is, it has no, the fact that there is a God has no practical effect on my life. Yeah, I believe in a God somewhere out there, but I'm just living my life. I'm just going through each day graduate from high school, graduate from college, I'm gonna try to get a job, maybe I get married, have a few kids, get a better job, get a promotion, get a better wife, get a better husband, maybe have a few more kids, save for retirement, retire, move to Florida, play a few rounds of golf, watch some television, that's it, that's life. And the truth is, even those of us who follow Christ, that can be our mentality day after day after day. Get up in the morning, try to survive the day, watch a little television, go to bed at night, start over the next day, just trying to make it each week. But then something happens. Something happens to us, something happens in our lives. A friend dies. A relative dies, maybe before their time, or we get a health crisis, we get news from the doctor that we did not want to get, and all of a sudden, everything else stops, and then we stop, and we actually consider eternity. It it is in those moments when life throws us a curveball of some kind that we will pause for a moment, and we will say, you know what? I need to think beyond just my next meal, just just the next game coming up this weekend. I need to think beyond just where am I going to go on vacation this summer. I need to think beyond this life and think about eternity. That's what Moses does on the heels of this chapter. That's what Moses does in the midst of this crisis. In fact, when you back up to verse 10, here's what he says. Our days may come to 70 years or 80. Again, Moses is acknowledging what all of us know. We will not live forever. Our days are numbered 70, 80, maybe 90 years. If our strength endures, what he's saying here is we may not live that long. You're 20-something years old in here. You think, well, that's great. I've got another 50 or 60, maybe 70 years. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, but you don't know. If our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. Moses is acknowledging on the heels of this very difficult chapter, the sorrows and troubles that he's been through. For they quickly pass. Life comes at you fast. Life is brief. Those days are numbered. You look back and you say, where have the years gone? They've passed quickly and we fly away. And then he prays this prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's why Moses prays this prayer. It's not that Moses is needing some new information. It's not that Moses is saying to God, God, I thought that we lived to be a thousand. Somehow I thought that that was true. I need you to teach me that we really live to be 70 or 80 years old and that's it. He's not praying for new information. He's praying that that information that he already knows will practically live its way through his heart and into his life and that he may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's a way to think about it. One of my weaknesses is a Dairy Queen Heath bar blizzard. Um, I have a gluten allergy so there are a lot of desserts that I cannot eat. I'll go to a party and someone will offer these fabulous desserts and I'll think, I can't, I can't. You put flour in it. Why did you do that? I can't have that dessert. But a Heath bar blizzard is a gluten-free dessert and it is wonderful. It it is the best creation that that Dairy Queen ever created, but it's got about a million grams of fat and sugar and carbs, but if I've ever had a bad day, if I've ever had a rough day, my car will just automatically start to point towards Dairy Queen, and I'll go through the drive-thru, and I'll get my Heath Bar Blizzard, And then I have to drive around for about 20 minutes and eat it because if I come home with a blizzard and I don't have four more for my kids, I'm in big trouble. So I have to secretly eat the blizzard and then show up at the house and say, no, I didn't didn't get dessert. I I don't know what that is. it's something that is so good, but I know that it's got lots of calories, it's got lots of grams of sugar, and if I am trying to control my weight, that is not the best thing for me to eat, but so often it is what I want, and so that head knowledge does not make its way into my heart, into my hands, and I go to Dairy Queen anyway and get the Heath Bar blizzard. We all do that. There are things that we know that they are bad for us. There are things that we do and we know that we shouldn't do it. We've got the information Intellectually, we know what's true, but practically, it does not play out in our lives. That is what Moses prays here. Lord, I know that this is true, that my days are numbered. Help me to realize this truth in a way that it travels from my head to my heart and practically uh, plays out in my life. Help me to live with a heart of wisdom. So how do we do that? How does that practically play out in our lives? Let me give you three things. You can probably think of more, but these are three that I find in scripture that demonstrate a heart of wisdom that understands that our days are numbered. Um, How do we make the most of our moments? Number one, live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. When you read this prayer of Moses, not only does he pray, Lord, teach me to number our our, our days, but teach me, Lord, remind me that there is a day that is coming that I will stand before you. Remind me that there is a a judgment day that is coming. And help me to live in that way, knowing that that I will draw my last breath, and then I will stand before you. James echoes this in James chapter 4 where he writes, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Then he says, what is is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Think about a hot summer morning where the dew has fallen on the ground And the sun begins to rise in the sky and that dew begins to evaporate. And for just a moment, that dew will rise up and you'll see this sort of morning mist that appears for a moment and you notice it for just a moment. And then it is gone. That's what James says about our lives. That in comparison to all of eternity, we are that morning mist that appears for just a moment. And yet he says... Often we live like our days are unlimited. I'm going to go to this city and I'm going to carry on business. I'm going to make lots of money. And then I'll go to this other city and I'm going to make lots of money and my business and my business and I'm going to succeed and I'm going to succeed. And we act like this is forever. And James is not against making plans here. He's not saying just get up every morning, sit on your bed and wait for the Lord to tell you what to do. He's not saying that at all. It's fine to make plans, but keep it in perspective. This is not forever. Your business and making money and all the things you're you're doing, many of them necessary, in order to survive that is not forever so live each day he would say with the end in mind that there will come a day that you stand before the lord and you give answer for how you've lived your life number one is live with the end in mind number two is view each day as a gift every single day that we have left on this planet is a gift of god Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Lamentations was written during a very difficult time in the life of Israel. They had been invaded by Babylon, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed. And Lamentations is not an encouraging book. As you can guess by the title, it is a book of weeping, of sadness. And yet in that book, Jeremiah writes these words. "'Because of the Lord's great love, "'we are not consumed. For his compassions never failed. And he writes this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's what Jeremiah was saying. No matter what has happened in the past, today is a new day. No matter what has happened to you or what you have done in the past, today is a brand new day. View it as a gift. This is something I actually talk to my kids about every morning on the way to school. Virtually every day, I will say to them, today is the first day of the rest of your life. What are you going to do with it? This is, this is today the very first day of the remainder of the days that you have been given. How are you going to start today the rest of your life? How will you live it? Today is the first day of all the days to come. None of us know how many days we've been given. None of us know how many days we have left. But here's what we know. Today, you have one less day than you did yesterday. Tomorrow, one less day than you have today. We all have a limited number of days, and every new day is a gift of God. Use it as that gift that has been given to you. And finally, here's the last thing seize eternal opportunities. the book of Ephesians is a letter that was written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesians is this beautiful letter where Paul does this compare and contrast to the Ephesians' old way of life and their new life. And throughout the book, you see where he talks about, hey, and before you became followers of Christ, you lived in darkness. Now, Before you followed Christ, you were in sin. Before you followed Christ, you were unforgiven. Before you followed Christ, you were objects of God's wrath. But now that you're in Christ, you're forgiven. Now that you're in Christ, you're free from sin. Now that you're in Christ, you, you are dearly and deeply loved by God. And he does this, you were, now you are. This was you, now this is you. And he basically says in chapter 5, in light of this fact, in light of this, then be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That phrase, making the most of every opportunity is key. Here's what Paul is saying. Throughout your life, you will have opportunities to do things that make an eternal difference, that matter for all of eternity. That doesn't mean that other things are wrong. There's nothing necessarily wrong with watching a football game or watching the Braves or watching a television show or doing business or going out for a long run or doing all the different things we do in life. But here's what the Bible says. There are certain things that we do, and when we step into eternity— those things will go through a fire. And those things that really don't matter, they're like hay and stubble and grass, and they're just burned up. They're not necessarily bad. They're just burned up and they're gone. But there are other things, other opportunities that we have in life that make an eternal difference. And the Bible says those things will go through the fire, but they're like gold and silver and, And precious jewels and they are refined in the fire and then we take those things into eternity you are given as a follower of christ opportunities throughout your day might be that somebody just needs a kind word and you have the opportunity to do that it might be that a co-worker needs to hear the gospel at least some nugget of the gospel and you have this opportunity to seize that opportunity and to share the gospel or to give and support a ministry that is making a difference in the lives of others for all of eternity and you've you've been given the opportunity to do that or to serve in a church or in another ministry where you're able to pour into kids or teenagers or college students and teach truths or Help them to understand how to follow Christ better. And what Paul is saying here is seize those opportunities. Live as someone who is wise, not unwise, to recognize those opportunities and to take a hold of them and do things that will make a difference for all of eternity. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, this passage and this concept that life is brief and our days are numbered should not scare you at all. Time is not your enemy. The years are not your enemy. If you follow Christ, God has every one of your days in his hands. And yes, there will come a day that you will breathe your last breath and there will be someone standing there who will say he has died, she has died. But they will be wrong because at that moment you will be more alive than you have ever been before as you step into the arms of Jesus and into eternity but if you're not a follower of Christ if you've never made the decision to follow Christ then time is your enemy then the years are your enemy Every time you see a clock, you should want to smash that clock because it is mocking you with every tick to the day of your ultimate destruction when your time is no more, when your days are no more. However, it doesn't have to be that way. If you've never made the decision to follow Christ, then here is the great news no matter what you've done, no matter how far down sin's path you have gone, no matter how far you have drifted from God, no matter how many years you have not followed Christ, today can be the day that all that changes. And today, time can go from being your enemy to being your friend. As you become a follower of Christ and you are deeply and eternally loved by a God who has every one of your days in his hands. Today could be the day that everything changes for you. Don't give up this chance to follow Christ and find forgiveness that can only be found in him.